But if we're talking about trying to to live a good life, basically, um, I think it has to be uh, a gradual journey that's done through both body and, and mind, right? And, it, and the focus, I think, should not, we can take ideas from other people, we can take inspiration from other people, um, but I think the focus has to be on tapping into our own innate capabilities and our innate wisdom and, and allowing that to be our guide. So today is opposite day, as my son would say. Here I'm being interviewed by James Lambert, who I interviewed in the last episode. The same interview is published on his YouTube channel, and I'll, I'll put that link below. So if you want to watch us talk, you can head over there. And if not, stick around, give it a listen, and uh, hope you enjoy it. Well, hello, and I'm delighted to say today I've got the real honour and pleasure of spending time with a, a lovely man I got to know through the, the power of social media. And with that being said, I would like the man himself to introduce himself to you and his marvellous work. So, Eric, over to you, my friend. Okay. Hey, thanks, James. Um, yeah, I'm really, really happy to be here. Happy to have another chance to, to talk with you and Likewise. yeah I guess I, I don't know if I'm I don't know how to introduce myself um <laughs> I kind of prefer to to let it um sort of develop organically throughout the conversation but Absolutely. I guess I, yeah okay we can we can yeah. let's just do that <laughs> so with that being said how do we find you today what is Eric up to today what are some of your your main pursuits and passions let's start there Okay. Um, like literally today, what have I done so far that today? Yeah. Well, I, I just got back from a run, did a, oh. a barefoot run in the, in the mountains here. Um, let's see, I spent the morning, I did some social media stuff, just uh, posting things from the workshop I did yesterday. Lovely. Uh, I did some reading about the the San people in the, the Kalahari. It's an indigenous group. I mean, essentially, they're, they're the first humans. They're the people who we've we've all come from. Um, yes. But some portion of them have stayed in, in the Kalahari and mm. still live more or less like they did 200,000 years ago when, when Homo sapiens first became Homo sapiens. You know? yeah. And so I, I did some reading about, about them preparing for a trip I'm going to be doing in May. Mm. Uh, I did some dancing as well, which is part of... Uh, I'm, I'm learning... It's a spiritual practice, really. It's part of their, their. I mean, it, it's really hard to to put it into words because we don't have like a good concept for it. It's everything from from medicine to religion to sort of hunting techniques. It's kind of an all encompassing practice, but involves singing and dancing and moving. And it's it's something that I'm really interested in and and sort of getting closer and closer to. So I did a bit of that this morning as well, and. Uh, I'm currently fasting, so I'm still, it's been, I guess the last time I ate was breakfast yesterday. So I did quite a bit of thinking about food <laughs> and uh, I, I did some preparing food, which I'm going to eat after after we're done talking. So that's that's been my day so far. Wow, thank you for sharing, Eric. You mentioned workshops. Can you tell us a little bit more about, about those, please? Yeah, yeah. They, 
the workshops I give can be very, very different depending on sort of who they're for, basically. Um, sometimes it can be just a few hours, like a very simple, if someone wants to learn, you know, breath work or movement or cold exposure. Those are kind of the main ones that are sort of in the media and that people understand the the value of like pretty, pretty mm. easily, right? The larger practice for me is about getting in touch with with nature. And by nature, I mean, you know, the natural world, the plants and the animals and all of that. But I also mean our natural selves, our, our internal states, you know, and that can, we can look at that through a lens of, of physiology, of psychology. Um, there, there's a lot of different ways to approach it, but basically my sense is that much of what we diagnose as a specific ailment, like I don't know, depression, anxiety, or even something like like heart disease, which which seems to have a very sort of clear cut medical definition. Um, in many cases, if not almost all cases, can be traced in some sense to this disconnect that we have from our evolutionary past, right? And we have, you know, as Homo sapiens, we have at least two hundred thousand years, but you know, we have before that as well as beings a couple million, maybe even a couple billion, depending on how far back you want to look, of, of living in a, a changing environment, but always a natural environment, an environment that wasn't created by our own species. And now most of us live a huge percentage of our time in engineered environments, right? With temperature control, with you know food that's been highly processed, uh, artificial lighting, um, without a deep sense of connection or community, all of these things that that are sort of standard for the modern world. And I, I don't I don't mean to say that the modern world doesn't have its advantages and there isn't, um, you know, I mean, we wouldn't be having this conversation today if it, if it weren't for the internet and technology and all that. So I, so I don't want to take it too far, but I but I do think on a on a very fundamental uh, physiological and psychological basis, that's mm -hmm. the root of a lot of dis-ease. Right. A lot of complication in life that I, I think is essentially avoidable and, and unnecessary. Mm -hmm. and, and so for me, it's, you know, it can it can take a very sort of focused therapeutic approach of really working with people on sort of specific issues that they're, they're trying to work through. Or it can be a more sort of like an introduction to a different way of of reacting or interacting with the world, let's say, right? So mm -hmm. rather than tending to protect ourselves and to try and control the environment in order to make it into what we think we need, learning to adapt with what the environment gives us. So that can be with heat, with cold, you know, it can be barefoot running, it can be, it can take a lot of, a lot of different forms, right? So yeah. I don't know, I, I hope that gives you some, some sort of ideas of what we do. It, yeah. can, it can be very, very different from, from day to day. Right. And I really, I really, I, I come to each workshop with like a big set of tools basically. And then I try and feel out the people who are there and see kind of what energy they're coming with, what they're ready for, what they need, and then try and adapt myself to, to give them an experience that will allow them to, to take another step in, in whatever direction they're, they're trying to go basically. Mm. Thank you for sharing. Eric, that's a little about what you do today. Is there a particular path that drew you to this? I mean, have you always been involved in, in this type of service? 
No, no, I haven't. Um, not, not as a way of working at least. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I, I guess, you know, how far back do we want to go? I guess, um, I mean, I can say as, as a kid without getting into to too many specifics, um, mm -hmm. my upbringing taught me indirectly to take care of the people who are close to me. I, I had, or I felt I had that responsibility. Um, mm -hmm in in a lot of different ways and there were many years when i did that mm, sort of reflexively compulsively even you could say um that was the way i knew how to interact with the world and that was the way that i sort of knew myself and that i that was yeah that was my my place right and and i did a pretty bad job of taking care of myself right i was always putting other people first and and trying to make sure other people were okay and, and it was uh, the story i told myself was sort of well i can deal with it you know, I'm, I'm strong enough i'm big enough whatever it's not a big deal you know and, and i would get into these situations again and again where i was taking care and taking care and taking care and wasn't getting anything back and then would just you know get frustrated burnt out whatever and end up like leaving leaving the country leaving the relationship whatever it is and so for me the the process has been sort of gradual into there was definitely a time when I just like went cold turkey, basically. And I, I use that phrase intentionally um, because I do think these patterns that we have are addictions, right? And I, and I think, you know, if you, we talk about an addiction to, you know, heroin or alcohol or some sort of external substance, um, it's, it's a very clear case of addiction because it's, you know, you have to go and, and buy something and ingest it, right? Um, but if we think about what is that doing, that's changing our brain state is changing our body state and that's one strategy of, of changing our brain and body state is through a substance but another way of doing that is through our relationships or through our actions or whatever and and the the way i manipulated my environment to get what my brain and body was craving was by helping other people right and and it was yeah i think it was it was an addiction and I went cold turkey and just said, okay, I'm done taking care of other people. I'm just going to do my own thing. I went off to Alaska and did work there for five seasons, sort of like, well, pretty remote. I was two hours in, in plane from the nearest town and spent a lot of time traveling and just really focusing on myself, doing my own thing. And from that, I, I realized that the desire to take care of other people is, is actually like a fundamental human need. It's not just a trauma response to, you know, to use a catchphrase. Um, and that I, it behooves me to learn how to do it well. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I, not only do I not want to, I can't completely take that need out of myself. I just have to learn how to do it in a different way, do it in a way that's also nutritive to me. And so that's when I started studying psychology. That was about, uh, 12 years ago now, I think. Mm. I started studying psychology, got very deep into that and got a lot out of it. But I pretty quickly reached a point where I saw among my fellow students, among professors, eventually among my colleagues, that there's only so far you can get with, with talking, right? You can have great theories. You can, you know, understand everything very well. You can explain it very articulately, but that doesn't always, and I would say almost never is that enough to actually make a change in their life. And I, I saw that in myself. I saw that in the people around me and I said, okay, 
what else can I do? How can I dig deeper? Right. And so that's when I started looking at the the body as basically my understanding is that the, the brain is always operating in an environment. Right. And so that's, that's very clear. If we just talk about like, how does your mood change when you get hungry? Right. You're more irritable. Um, your, your personality changes, right. You act in a different way. You react in a different way. So it's, I mean, it's, it should be very obvious to us, but for, for some reason we haven't taken it very seriously as a society that the way our body and specifically the way our nervous system is functioning is going to have a huge effect on the way our, our brain is operating or the, the range of possibilities within which our brain can operate. Right. So, so if you're in an agitated state, if you're in fight or flight mode, there's only a, a pretty narrow range of, of thoughts and feelings that are going to be available to you. Right. And so what I started doing is really trying to investigate different ways of it's not even getting at the brain through the body. It's building a stronger connection between brain and body to make a change in the whole self rather than in just one isolated aspect of the self. Right. Mm -hmm. So I started looking at, at breath work, at, at fasting, at a lot of different indigenous traditions and, and their sort of for them, the, you know, what we divide into psychology and medicine and spirituality is often one thing. Um, and there's a lot of practices that involve taking the body to some, some pretty intense extremes in order to reach altered states of consciousness, you know, so it could be, you know, three days of dancing and, and singing and chanting nonstop without, without eating, without drinking. It can be ayahuasca. It can be, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways to get there, but basically I've dedicated well, yeah, more or less 10 years of of pretty intense investigation into mm -hmm. a lot of different sort of ways of approaching this issue of the way I see it is, you know, how to live the best life possible, you know, and, mm -hmm. and trying to learn from as many different places as possible, you know, from, from indigenous cultures, from scientific studies, from, you know, everywhere I can, and trying to build a practice that works for me and that I can share with other people. Right. And I think that's a very important part of my personal practice is sharing with other people, because I mean, I think we, we are social animals by, by nature and with all the luxury of technology that we we've, we've sort of become severed from our communities. We don't actually depend on people physically to meet our, our basic needs the way we have for 99.9% .9 of our evolution. And so now what was once a necessity has to be a, uh, a conscious choice, right? We have to work at creating a community. And that's something that um, it's not easy. And, uh, you know, it's, it's often much easier when we think about health and wellness and stuff. It's much easier just to change your diet, change your workout routine and, and just go for it, you know, and that, that'll get you somewhere. But I think to really live a full, rich and healthy life, we need to have that that community, that connection, right? And and that's that's what I think based on my my experience. But also, there's there's a lot of scientific evidence backing that up, you know. And if you look at the quality of people's relationships when they're fifty or sixty years old, that's a much better predictor of both mental and physical health than their cholesterol, than their blood pressure, than their level of physical activity, and whether or not they smoke even. Right? Mm -hmm. It's there's a lot of evidence saying that like we need to be in community, we need to have, have good relationships, you know, and, and that's something that um, it's, it's a big part of my day to day, trying to bring these practices to people and, 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 you know, live the best way I can, and help other people to do that. And, and coming together to share that for me is it's medicine. Beautifully put, Eric, and I, I so very strongly resonate 
with what you say about community and in particularly for us as men, brotherhood. For so long in my life, going about it oneself and, and having the the pride, nay, stubbornness to, to go it alone, even when I've been terribly suffering, suffering, isolated and lonely, that, that inability at times to reach out and call upon my fellow brothers has been has been to my detriment. But conversely, on its opposite, when I've when I've reached out, when I have lovely conversations like we're doing now, I'm just reminded about the simple truth behind that in the healing that is being processed and is being communicated through simply talking. And I think here in the West, I know I've been looking at some recent research that points to the alarming fact that loneliness is a real health epidemic. And you alluded to it there as we near our 50s and beyond, particularly for our brothers that have gone through a separation or divorce. Oftentimes the friendships that may have occurred through their partner dissolves, children moving away and grow, growing older. So it's a real thing. And, and I just want to take a, a moment to applaud your work in doing that because I resonate strong with, strongly with it. I see its importance in the world today. And I thank you for doing your part in helping alleviate men's suffering, as well as our women friends, of course, but in particular, the male suffering. With that being said, Eric, is there, and we don't have to stay here for long, but is there any, is there any point in your past you feel like as a, a younger man or perhaps stepping into adult early adulthood was there were there any challenges that you encountered that you're happy to talk about that perhaps with the benefit of hindsight which is always 2020 set you on this path or journey if you prefer of healing and then in extension to that reaching out to heal others yeah yeah, it's hard for me to pinpoint a specific time. I mean, it it started when I was very young. So, I mean, this this would be multiple episodes in and of itself. But but I I grew up in in some version of like an intentional community, where the way people were talking was all about I don't know being good people, living good lives. It was all on, on the surface. It, it was all like 24 seven. My life was about healing and, and being a good person, being a spiritual person, et cetera, et cetera. Underneath the surface, there was a lot of other stuff going on. Um, a lot of psychological complications, a lot of, um, I think a lack of clarity, dishonesty, confusion, um you know there's a bunch of a bunch of hurt people trying to to heal themselves and heal each other and it, it didn't it didn't always work right and so i grew up in a context where on the one hand i got it was very clear to me that you know the the rat race as it's called is is ridiculous and i mean i i had my midlife crisis when i was I don't know, 14 or something, right? Like it was just, <laughs> I, I dabbled in uh, popular culture for a little bit when I went to uh, public high school. 
and was just like, okay, yeah, this is clearly bullshit. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to invest any time and energy in this. Um, but at the same time, I got the, the very clear message as well that at least the people I were around who were trying to do something differently didn't seem to be doing anything better. Mm. And so it was, it was on the one hand, I mean, I think it was, it was really a gift for me, right? Because it, it put me on my path of saying, okay, well, now I've got to figure out what works or what works for me at least and um gave me i think a healthy dose of of cynicism and skepticism um and a, a pretty good radar for false prophets um and i i try very hard not to to be one myself um and to to really be very clear that i'm i'm doing what works for me and i'm i i love sharing it but that doesn't make me better than anyone else. It doesn't mean that I know any more than anyone else. Um, it just means that maybe for, for some people at some point in their life, they might be drawn to something that I'm doing and they might want to share an experience with me or, or learn something from me and, that, and that's great. Um, and I mean, it's, it's wonderful, that's wonderful. But I, I think in, in the world we live in, there's so many people who are trying to place themselves above other people and pretend as though they have the formula that's going to work, mm. you know, whether that's for, for mind or body or for, mm. for anything. Um, mm. And, you know, they, they'll have some sort of way of trying to differentiate themselves from others, whether it's, you know, credentials or, you know, they went to do some shamanic ritual, you know, in, in some place, whatever it is. And it, it's like, let's not forget that we're all animals, right? We're all in this together. And we're doing the best we can. And when I think of myself as as a teacher, I I, I look to animals often as an example. Like, mm -hmm. do you ever see a wolf like putting on special clothes and sitting at a podium and like giving a lecture? Mm -hmm. No. Like mm -hmm. they just like, you know, if if one wolf can run faster than the other wolves, are gonna be like, oh shit, he can he can run really fast. Well, let's watch how he does it. Like he's a good hunter. Let's let's do that, mm -hmm. you know. And so yeah, I think we we need to lead by example and and be as humble as possible. Um, mm -hmm. And and I think, you know, I, I say that to myself as well. It's mm -hmm. something I have to continually remind myself. Um, and the the process I think for me began. I mean, I can remember a time when I was. I think I was probably four years old, um, sitting at the dinner table, and the the person who was sort of at the head of this community was, you know, telling everyone else how the, how they should live and what's right and what's wrong and what's good and what's bad. And there's all these adults looking around, like looking at her and nodding and like, oh yeah, she's right, she's right, she's right. And I just thought to myself, I can't trust any of these people. Like they they clearly don't know what's going on. You know, mm -hmm. so I, I would say if, if there was a turning point, it was probably then <laughs> four years old mm -hmm. sitting at the dinner table. I mean, okay, I've got to find my own path. You know. Goodness, no, thank you for sharing. That's very powerful to have such an insight at such an early age. Uh, Eric, if I can go back to something you said at the top of this great conversation, you mentioned the fact that you had been running but also barefoot and that may may or may not be 
new to, to some listeners. But but can we explore that? Because as you know, that's something I'm drawn to, talking about your love of nature, of us yeah. as brothers, as human beings, connecting to that. Can you tell me a little bit more, please, about your yeah. running and in particular the barefoot aspect of it, please? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So I, I live in a place, uh, I live in the mountains, and I have, I mean, trails just out, out my door. And... Okay. And I think there's something really powerful in just being able to walk outside and go running, right? If I lived at the beach, I would probably be an avid surfer, right? Um, but so so I don't want to overplay what I'm about to say. I think there is a significant part that is just sort of convenience. Um, but there is also good evidence that we as a species evolved to to run long distances, right? And, you know, the book Born to Run, um, you know, there's there's pretty good archaeological evidence suggesting that you know probably one of the things that allowed us to get an advantage as the apes that we were was being able to track animals for long distances and and basically run them out until until they got tired you know? mm -hmm. um there's some reason to believe it wasn't that simple it probably started more as a scavenging thing and we would follow other predators and and just be able to, to find the meat and and grab a bit of it. But you know, over time, as we got more and more meat into our diet, we got more and more calories, our brains were able to grow bigger and bigger. And um, anyway, it's very clear that it's there's a very long and deep relationship with long distance running as as humans, right? And that doesn't mean everyone needs to run or you know anything like that, but I think when I run, I feel as though I'm tapping into something very ancient, very, very powerful. Um, and for me, sometimes it's, it's just a form of exercise and, and, you know, feels good. Um, the same way, you know, pretty much any exercise feels good. Um, but when I get into, uh, I, I don't know how to say it exactly. I can get into a, a place within myself where it feels like my body is moving itself, my breath is breathing itself. It's almost like my mind is is just, it's just there observing what's happening and my mm -hmm. body knows what to do. And to me, that's a very powerful state to be in. It's very cleansing, it's healing, it's it's grounding. It, it makes me feel very, very, very alive. Um, yes. And so it's it's, actually difficult for me to get into that state when I when I run barefoot because um, my feet just aren't strong enough yet. I normally don't get into that state until I've done quite a few kilometers, like maybe 60 or 70 or something, right? And I, I can't run that far barefoot yet. But barefoot running does give me a sense of awareness that I is very hard to achieve with shoes on. Right, especially when you're trail running, mm -hmm. you have to look where you're stepping, but you you can't be focusing on where you're stepping. Basically, it forces you to open your peripheral vision and and um, as a consequence, open your your awareness so that it includes mm -hmm. the ground, but it's not just looking at the ground. You have to have the eyes open, the head erect, like running with a good posture, but still observing the ground and moving over mm -hmm. sometimes some pretty difficult terrain. Um, in a, a quick and, and artful way. And so it's not the same flow state as, you know, the body moving itself, the breath breathing itself, but it, it is 
to me, it's more akin to, I don't know, a uh, sort of form of meditation, maybe, mm-hmm. where I feel very connected to myself, connected to the environment that I'm running in. And it's, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe dancing is an analogy, maybe maybe boxing, I'm not sure. But it's, it's when I'm running at a, a high intensity up and, and down hills or, or mountains, on trails, um, I get into this state where it just it, like my body's like vibrating. I'm just like alive in a, in a in a very very good way, and and then you know on, on just like a very basic physiological level, it really helps with with balance, with uh, tendon strength, with coordination, with fine muscle strength. So what I do um, is I'll train almost exclusively barefoot for through the winter and and the spring. And then when the, like the competition season starts, then, and I'm doing longer races, then I'll start putting on my shoes more and more, but I try and build that base really strong with, with walking and running barefoot. And that allows me to, to prevent injury throughout, throughout the rest of the season. Wonderful. Wonderful. Eric, you, um, you allude to some of the feelings and sensations I've explicitly and implicitly felt myself when running particularly long distance i have to say during mm. ultra marathons and in the uh, in training at its best i lost myself in what our friend with the long russian name did call the the flow state i was just wondering has there been any time for you away from running specifically that has induced the similar kind of sensations yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, that's, I would say 80% of my focus is on finding that state, being in that state, sharing that state. Um, so Lovely. I do that through through movement, through a lot of different movement practices. Um, mm-hmm. It can be uh, like a yoga, it can be dancing, it can be mm-hmm. breath work. Um in the heat sometimes, in the cold, through fasting. Uh, I work quite a bit with psychedelics as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm I'm sort of always on the lookout for different flavors of that state and different ways to, not just to get into it, but to, to share it as well. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a very big part of my life. And I think it's... Um, unfortunately been relegated to the realm of sort of the esoteric and it's it's not a part of most people's day-to-day life um but i think there's pretty good reason to believe that it has been for most of our evolutionary history like Mm -hmm. multiple times a week people would get together and sing and dance and and chant and get into some some very deep altered states of consciousness like on a regular Mm -hmm. basis you know, and and as a side note, I mean, this is um a sort of project that I'm I'm working on. It, I think, as sort of an addition to the born to run hypothesis, we need to look at entering into that sort of state as uh, a tool for hunting as well, because there's, I mean, with contemporary San people when they they do the hunting. So first of all, I mean, they're, they're very, very talented trackers and they have like a, immense technical knowledge, 
where they can, you know, look at the track and they say, okay, this is, you know, see how it's stepping, see the size, see how deep it went. Uh, that means, you know, it's a male, he's a little bit sick, he's got, you know, a wound on this leg, and he was like running in this direction. Yeah. So like very, very good technical knowledge. But when you're actually putting that into practice and, and tracking an animal, uh, you're doing that while you're running, right? And you're doing it over terrain where sometimes the tracks disappear. And the way that they described it, not, not just them, there are other hunter, hunter gatherer tribes as well that describe it in this way, is they're getting into a, a state where it's almost an out-of-body experience. They're entering into the spirit of the animal and mm -hmm. they can, you know, intuit, understand, however you want to phrase it, they they know where that animal's gone. Right. The track mm -hmm. just disappear. They can stop and say, he went that way. I go that way. Right. And so science obviously can't explain this. There's no sort of rational way to to break this down into like it's it doesn't rely on any sort of known psychological capacities that we have as humans. But I mean, you can see it. It's, it's happening. And we all come from that. Like we wouldn't be here today as a species if we didn't have that ability. Right. And so my, my whole thing is like, rather than thinking of this as some very sort of specialized uh, esoteric practice, it's like, no, this is at the root of what it means to be human. Like mm. we wouldn't exist if we didn't all have this innate capacity to do it. And so, you know, if, if we just reserve it for like once in a lifetime, you know, ayahuasca experience or whatever, like we're, we're missing out on a lot. And I think, yes. and I think it's for bringing a community together, for bringing ourselves together, for being a whole human being, regularly getting out of our idea of who we think we are and what we think reality is and connecting to something larger. And I'm not going to put a name on that. You know, some people you yeah. can call that Allah or Jesus or God, you know, whatever. Yeah. There are a million different people have, put their theories on it and put their words on it. And that's, mm -hmm. you know, that's their thing. That's fine. I'm, I'm not interested in creating a, a system of belief. I'm interested in, mm -hmm. in creating a system of practices, right. Wow. And, and practicing that and practicing that and practicing that. And just as much as possible, living with the certainty that whatever I think, whatever I feel in this given moment, isn't everything, right. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a best guess that might be necessary in, in, you know, a certain context in order to help me to achieve certain results. But I can't believe it because I know in, in the deepest essence of my being that there are other ways of seeing and feeling. And, mm. and the more deeply I can tap into that, the better my life is. Mm. Oh, that's really beautifully put, Eric. Thank you for, for sharing that so eloquently. That That's lovely. Um, you mentioned you live within the, the very hills themselves, the mountains. For, for many of our dear friends and brothers listening, perhaps in a more urban environment, Eric, are there, apart from the trail running, are there some of the practices that you would encourage them to actually start practicing or to continue if they have come across what you may mention already, please? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's funny you, you ask. It's a, it's a very, it's a good question. I've been thinking about it quite a bit um, because I'm actually, I'm working on a, on an online course that will hopefully be out 
by August or September of this year. Winning. I look forward um, to that. And yeah, the idea is trying to help people access some version of this wherever wherever they are, right? Okay. Um, and it's... What, what I want to say about it is that there isn't a formula, there isn't a specific protocol, and that's absolutely fundamental. Because if we look at the history of uh, nutrition, of exercise, of all these things, like basically what we're doing is we're, we're taking some version of what we think we evolved to do and simulating that in a more condensed form, right? So you see like the paleo diet or, you know, any, basically any form of exercise, like that's, that's what it is, right? When, when we were all hunters and gatherers, no need to go on a diet, no need to have any kind of exercise plan because that was just how we live. And to the degree that we separate from that and we you know, work in an office and, and whatever, then we need to somehow recover some portion of that as quickly and efficiently as possible, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think there definitely is a place for, for exercise and, and for dieting and you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but if we look at that impulse and we, we take it a few, a few steps deeper, to me, the most fundamental aspect of that is that Throughout our evolutionary history, there have not been experts that told us what to do. We listen to our bodies and our bodies know what to do, right? And 99.9% .9 of the advice we're getting and, and giving online is disconnecting us from our innate wisdom, our innate knowledge, saying, look, I'm the expert. I have these degrees or I have these muscles or whatever it is. Listen to me. You do what I do. You do what I say. And then you'll be a better human. And that to me is fundamentally flawed, right? Mm -hmm. To me, it's the process has to be connecting with ourselves more deeply, with our own innate wisdom more deeply, and then following what, what our body needs, right? Mm -hmm. And so I know that's, um, it's not the easiest thing to put into practice, right? Some people are saying, okay, yeah, great, but what do I do? But that's that's the point. Is is there there isn't an easy answer. There there has to be a, a process of sort of checking in with ourselves and trying to figure out what what our body actually wants and needs. And it's it's difficult in our society today because putting food as an example, you know, there it's a multi billion dollar industry that's basically dedicated to tricking our bodies into thinking it needs things that it doesn't actually need, right? Um, so. Yeah, I I appreciate that it's it's difficult, and that um, there there has to be a process of for for me, you know, if you just want to lose weight or get fit or whatever, that's that's fine. But if we're talking about trying to to live a good life, basically, um, I think it has to be a, a gradual journey that's done through both body and, and mind right and and the focus i think should not we can take ideas from other people we can take inspiration from other people um but i think the focus has to be on tapping into our own innate capabilities and our innate wisdom and, and allowing that to be our guide mm. gosh that's very powerful and again it resonates with my own truth and my own journey from looking at and to others for answers to, to 
recognizing, honoring, accepting, and then acting on the innate intelligence you so sagely alluded to there, Eric. And it is a journey, and you're right, it would be so easy to to say or to present it in this cookie cutter type mythology. You know, you just have to do this and everything's fine. But as you say, it it is a it is a journey. May I ask, would there be for somebody listening or watching this, both hopefully, if if at just this juncture in their life they have lost, albeit temporarily, but nevertheless lost the ability to trust themselves, to hear that voice, if they can't distinguish their true voice from the multitude of external factors, well-meaning friends, family members, social media, work, etc., etc., And without championing one necessarily over the other, nevertheless, Eric, is there one practice that you think can cut, just as a starting point, mm -hmm. for somebody currently feeling overwhelmed, a starting point to cut through that noise and begin to at least polish the dusty mirror of their authentic true voice? One practice, you think? Yeah, yeah. There, there are many. There are many. And the one I will mention here is one that I don't hear people talk about very often. Mm. which is pushing yourself to do something that you think is impossible. Wow. Um, and a, an easy way to do that is with the body. So with, you know, a nice bath or doing a very long and intense sweat lodge or, um, you know, running your first ultra marathon or, or whatever it is. Um, it's something where I think like when you physically see yourself do something that your mind told you was impossible that's a very good wake-up call to be like wait a minute maybe i shouldn't believe everything i think right and that can be a very powerful first step towards saying okay what else can i do what else mm -hmm. is possible right and that's something that really appeals to me personally and i think for for a lot of men that can be a good starting point because it's it doesn't require um, going against the sort of stereotypical like manly attitude right mm -hmm. um, because that's that's a barrier for a lot of people is like fuck like I have to like you know go talk about my feelings and uh, Jesus you know and, and there's honestly there's a lot of bullshit there there's a lot of people who you know they talk the talk but they don't walk the walk and they don't create an environment where it's actually healing or, or useful or anything like that and so I think it, it can be if for people who find themselves in this sort of weird middle ground where it's like, okay, whatever I'm doing is not working. But when I look out to the so-called experts and I see what they're offering me, like, I definitely don't want to do that. Like, what do I do? So, so then you say, okay, well, what if you yeah, set yourself a challenge that you currently think is, is basically impossible or not impossible, but like very, very difficult. And there's a very good chance I'm going to fail right? and work toward that. You know, work toward that and, and see if you can achieve that. You know, maybe say a 10-minute ice bath, uh, yeah. a, a half marathon, uh, a marathon, an ultra marathon, whatever it is. I mean, come up with your own challenge, but something that you honestly think like right now, like there's no way, there's no way. And work yeah. toward that, dedicated, focused, work toward that, give your life that that sort of structure, that focus, yeah. 
and and do it with the intention of teaching yourself that your beliefs aren't correct. That it's not true. You know, it's not true. If if you keep living the way you're living, then yeah, it will be true. But if you put your mind to it, if you really focus on it, if you give it a hundred percent, not only are you going to learn and grow in the process, you're going to see undeniable evidence that there's you need to question your beliefs, question your way that you see yourself, question your relationship with yourself, and that can open the door to a much, you know, to a life of, of exploration, basically. Goodness, that 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 is tremendous. I really uh I really enjoyed that answer. Goodness me. Yeah, thank you. Thank you Eric, for sharing. Um as as we draw to draw towards an end of today's lovely talk, Eric, are there some are there some ways you would like, you know, look looking forward in, in, in into the future, you know, that you would like to be remembered, as it were, looking, you know, obviously we were talking dead decades, decades hopefully, but but you know, something a legacy of sorts. What how would Emmett like to be remembered? Hmm. Hmm. That's not something I've I've thought about before, honestly. Um I would like to think that I am giving to people, to the land, to the world around me, some bit of energy that makes their experience more vital, more alive. Right? And the, I mean, the way I see it is, You know, there's, there's no real understanding of what life is or what differentiates something that's alive from something that isn't alive, right? And we, it, it seems very obvious to us, but like the, there is no clear scientific definition of that. We don't, there's a, there's a huge amount of things that we don't understand about reality, right? And that's sort of uncomfortable for a lot of people to, to come to terms with. We like to think it's all sort of neat and tidy, but it, it's clearly not. Um, so So I don't want to pretend that I know, but my sort of provisional understanding is that, you know, I'm, I'm a collection of, of molecules, right? You're a collection of molecules and, and somehow by some process, I've come together in this shape, in this form. And I basically see myself as a vessel of, of life, of vitality. You know, some people call it spirit, you know knows what it is i'm a instantiation an incorporation a incarnation of this form of energy and what i think this energy tends to do is it tries to come together with other forms of energy right through human relationships through taking care of the land through taking care of animals you know, whatever it is like when i feel most alive when i feel like like I'm just like on fire, things are good. Like, yes, this is this is life at its best is when I'm in, in deep connection with the people in the world around me. And through doing that, I am able to help them to enliven their own vitality, right? And so what I hope is that when, you know, when this body is gone, that the energy that it's 
contained or, or been the conduit for during its its period here is alive and well in other beings and other forms of life and other matter you know I'm, I'm here i building this old farm and taking care of the the land and and taking care of my son and you know in relationship with people and and i think my my sort of highest aspiration is that the time i spend on this earth here will contribute to other people having a other people other beings having a more vital more alive experience and that will continue to cascade you know indefinitely lovely lovely no that's that's beautiful and yeah thank you for answering that eric um is there for any of our listeners that would welcome the opportunity to learn more about you and your work indeed Mm -hmm. hopefully to to come on one of your beautiful experiences can you tell us where we can find you catch up with you on social media and so on yeah yeah definitely i think um in my my website is a is a great place to go it's primalnature.eu um on instagram i'm also fairly active on there um hormetic hermit which i think you can just spell it out somewhere it's it's kind of confusing um but but the website i think is a a good starting point and i i'm pretty good at keeping that up to date with um activities and and things that are going on there um but i i I do want to say as well that a a huge portion of the work i do is one-on-one and it's basically through people reaching out to me and and we work together to figure out something that that makes sense between the two of us you know and i I think it's i think there's definitely a time and a place to do you know something that's just sort of it's an event that's set up and whoever wants to come shows up but I think there's also a lot of power in working in in a way that makes sense given you know a particular person and the place they're in in their life you know and so so if, even if you don't see an event on the website like send me an email tell me you're interested and we can figure something out oh that's lovely well eric i wanted to thank you for your time today yeah. thank you for your powerful authentic answers to my questions i I found them to be particularly insightful and you've provided me with a lot of inspiration and uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, food for thought. And I want to thank you for that. And uh, I do hope everyone listening gets as much from it as I have. So with that being said, Eric, we will continue this at another time. But for now, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for the work you do. And thank you, for being a vessel of light, inspiration and encouragement. I I honour you and the work you bring to this earth. So thank you very much, brother. Thank you, James. I I really, I appreciate that. Um, I appreciate what you're doing as well. You know, and I I think that that's why I reached out to you in the first place. You know, um, I really, I think you're, you're doing a very good job to to bring together different forms of energy different ways of being in the world and and um i just i see in you a person who's who's on their path and and you know like me like many of us doing the best you can and uh, yeah and I, re- I really appreciate your your time and you making this possible so thank you Lovely. thanks eric bye for now